0: Find something for everyone on your list, whether it's a Cabernet for your sis, sparkling wine for a coworker, or a single barrel bourbon for dad. And if you need any help, just ask one of their friendly guides for advice. With the lowest prices for over 30 years, you'll always find what you love and love what you find, only at Total Wine and more. Spirits not sold in Virginia and North Carolina. Drink responsibly, be 21. Hi, I'm Kristen McGlory, lifelong genius hunter. For over a decade, I've been unearthing the recipes that have changed the way we cook. Now, on the Genius Recipe Tapes, we go behind the scenes with the geniuses themselves. This week, we are in prime baking season. And because we're thinking about baking, it made sense to speak to someone whose life revolves around baking so much that she's named for it. Joy the Baker. Joy Wilson has been writing her blog since 2008, which led to three cookbooks and even a seasonal magazine in her name. In this episode, Joy and I talk through some tips to smarten up our baking game, a couple of her favorite tools, and perfect baking recipes for the colder months. And because we recorded this conversation in winter of 2022, we also talked through a few of our favorite recipes from the past year that are perfect to kick off 2023 with. But before we get into all of that, it's hard to become synonymous with an entire genre of cooking without really spending your life in it. So Joy and I start our conversation with how Joy Wilson became Joy the Baker.
1: Well, I like to say that my parents were early adopter health food enthusiasts. I grew up in the early 80s, and I can attest to the fact that health food in the early 80s wasn't very good, wasn't very good at all. I remember like a lot of weird brown rices, like wild rices, a lot of toothy meals. And we didn't have a lot of baked goods in the house, a lot of store-bought baked goods. They weren't in line with my parents' health food kick. But the loophole we had in our family was that if you could make it from scratch, it was fair game. So I remember being really young and finding a bar of chocolate in the pantry cabinet. It was a bar of unsweetened chocolate, but I knew not of unsweetened chocolate at this age. And I was like, score, These fools left chocolate just like here (laughs) in the house. And so I like enthusiastically unwrap this chocolate, throw it in my mouth and discover to my horror that it is healthy chocolate. I was like, no, how could this be? But I did notice recipe on the back of this unsweetened chocolate box. And I was like, okay, this is a message. There are words here. We can decipher these words, use this chocolate and make brownies and brownies with that box of chocolate was the first thing I ever baked by myself. And I just felt like such a wizard. I just was like, I've unlocked everything I've ever wanted. All, really all I wanted was like Oreo cookies, um, <laughs> but they were just so elusive to me as a child who didn't have any money or access to a grocery store on my own. Or permission. Or right, or permission. Uh, so making this batch of brownies like blew my mind, and I—I I mean, I had no idea. I was probably like, I don't know, eight or nine. I had no idea that like it would I'd turn it into my whole career. I'd be so stoked on it; it would just be my whole career.
0: Wow, that sounds like such an effective way to get a kid into something. Like, I don't know if my if my daughter wants—I have a three year old—and I'm if, I'm thinking if my daughter wants like a big kid bed, like should I? say she has to build it herself and then she'll become like (laughs) much better. at You know, I mean, that's a little far, but like that makes so much sense. And then from there, was it like full steam ahead? You just were super into baking more and more things.
1: Yeah, I was super into it. I come from a family who does like to bake. So we did have access. We had a full pantry of baked goods. My dad is a really great pie baker. And when my dad bakes a pie, it's like a family affair. People have to come and witness him roll out the pie crust. We have to witness the chunks of butter within the pie crust. It's like all hands on deck. So baking was always just a very prominent part of our lives.
0: So what other sorts of things were you baking around that time? I
1: did a lot of cakes. Uh, My aunt is a really great cake baker. So I would always, I would try her recipes. My aunt also was blind. She could not see, but she still baked. And a lot of her cakes, God bless, she's a great baker, but it was, they'd come out a little burnt around the edges or like maybe half of the cake came out of the pan. Granted, we loved them to the end of the earth. They were like perfect cakes, but I would always try her recipes because they were written so simply and always great. So I would play around with her recipes. And when I was in sixth grade, I remember I had this entrepreneurial spirit and I would buy candy from the ice cream truck and like smash it and mash it together into these like Frankenstein like lollipops using like a blow pop, a uh, Jolly Rancher, and like Starburst. I'd melt them and smash them all together, repackage them, and take them to school and sell them. Those were really popular. That was maybe my first career.
0: Oh and I feel like I can see that in some of the brilliant mashup recipes that you create now.
1: Yeah, and this is even before Pinterest. I don't know where I got this <laughs> idea. <laughs> I was like hustling candy on the black market in 6th grade. And it was great. My parents were like, "Where are you? Like how are you doing this?" I would spend my allowance money on candy to resell.
0: I love it. And then how did you get from entrepreneurial kid who loves baking and loves sweet things to wanting to launch your own blog? Uh,
1: Well, I launched my blog in 2008. So approximately a million and 14 years ago (laughs) in the internet world. Um, And launching a blog back then was not, was nothing. It was just like, okay, I started a website and really the website was a place for me to put the recipes that I was working on. I had just started working as a Professional baker in a bakery in Los Angeles. And even though I'd been baking at home for a lot of my youth and really had no business working in a kitchen, but there I was, there I was. And so I was working a lot of time outside of that kitchen, practicing my baking and experimenting with techniques because I didn't really fully understand the science of baking. And so I was teaching myself a lot of that. And the blog was a way me to document what I was learning and it wasn't so much like you have to try this recipe too it was more like here's what I tried mm-hmm. ooh, ooh, I think <laughs> it's good let me know what you think and yeah the internet was just a, a different place where you could you didn't have to be an expert on the internet in 2008 you could just you could be trying and and that's how Joy the Baker started
0: and how has it evolved over the years from like okay I'm just gonna going to try this thing. Like, where did you start to see that it was becoming more than that?
1: Well, I did. I learned how to bake. I became a great baker. And I, I say that humbly, but mm-hmm. I love it. And so I, I got good at it. And I think it started to change and really turn into a business uh, a couple of years into it. I'd say maybe 2011, 2012, I wrote a cookbook Mm -hmm. And also, you know, the Internet, the world changed around what I was doing and it became a place that I could use to support myself. And so so I got better. And then the world sort of responded to the kind of work that me and a lot of other people were doing.
0: And now it's still the blog, but it's so many other things, right?
1: Yeah. Joy the Baker is the vlog, that's the root of everything. I still test all of the recipes and have them secondary tested, but I still test all the recipes and do all the dishes and create all of the social content around it. But Joy the Baker now is a cake mix line at Williams-Sonoma and a magazine, nationally sold magazine. I've tried a lot of things over the last decade plus. Joy the Baker used to be a podcast too before everyone had a podcast. And so some things fall away and some things get added, but I'm always just very
0: curious about where the brand now that it's, it's weirdly a brand can go. Mm -hmm. What made you want to launch a print magazine after so many years doing digital things?
1: Yeah, I, I love print still. So I've written three cookbooks and I just think there's something so special about having you know, having a cookbook in the kitchen. Cookbooks take such a long time mm-hmm. to make. <laughs> Why so long? <laughs> it, it's so, it's such kind of a mind warp to go from creating recipes that will go on the site within a couple weeks, if not the week, um, to creating a recipe that will go into the world in two years, which is what is pretty standard for cookbooks. And that just, I don't know, it's just not a timeline that I enjoy. But making a magazine is much faster. Mm. Granted, it kind of runs you into the ground a little bit more um, to, to make it. But I like the quick turnaround of three months or so and people will have this beautiful piece of my work in their kitchens for the holiday or for the summertime. I like the immediacy of it. It's more how I work.
0: Yeah, it's kind of a sweet spot between the immediacy of the Internet and the forever and ever it takes to write a book. Yeah, that's what it feels like. So I feel like in the process of of writing the magazine, in the process of all of the recipes you're developing for the site um, and for your social media and everything, you have baked so, so, so many things this year. And so this is a really hard question, much harder for you than it is for me, but I thought it would be fun to talk about some of our favorite things that we've each baked this year. Does anything come to mind for you? So there's... Two that come to mind. If I can, do I get more than one? Absolutely. You three, four, five, however many you want
1: to talk about. Okay. The one that comes to mind is from summer. I made a plum and lemon curd cake. And it's that kind of cake where it's like an easy sour cream based cake. But then you put plum halves in the center of the cake batter. And then I dolloped a bunch of lemon curd. Oh lemon curd on top and swirled it in lightly and it's one of those long bake cakes it bakes even though it's a nine inch round it bakes for about an hour in the oven Mm. and the plums get really soft no matter like how ripe they were they soften beautifully inside the cake and then the lemon curd on top caramelizes even more like gets almost chewy like taffy consistency on top of the cake and I just As if lemon curd couldn't get any better. I just love that. So that's one
0: of my favorite things that I've baked this year. I do have one question about that. If people wanted to make it in winter, would you substitute any wintry fruits in?
1: Oh, that's such a good question. Wintry fruits. Wait, what are we, let's think. What are we using right now? So I don't know that like apples would
0: work. I think, what's another wintry fruit? I mean, really, apples are the like heroes all through winter. Pears, they're softer. Pears? So, Yeah, I think pear halves would absolutely work. And I think a layer of
1: fresh cranberries would also mm-hmm. work mm-hmm. in the middle of that cake. That might be the first thing I try is a, a layer of fresh cranberries. Although I think
0: pears would work really nicely, too. Or if you wanted to have it feel like summery stone fruit in the middle of winter and when you can't find a lot of fresh stone fruit. Would you ever use frozen?
1: Don't think that I would use frozen. Something just gets so thrown off with the water content Mm. when you freeze things. Instead of a frozen, I would like go the other direction and go dried and like get those, get your prunes nice and plump with either like rehydrating with like warm orange juice or a little splash of bourbon, something like that might be really nice in the center of a cake and also make it super easy. What's one of your favorite things that you've made this year?
0: Um, I really loved making Jessie Sheehan's epic snickerdoodles um, from her book Snackable Bakes. She does some things in that recipe to make it Extra snackable, as in like you can go from like I want a snickerdoodle to I have a snickerdoodle in 20 minutes. So it's it's win win all around with the 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 time saving and also they're just so good. Um, The two that really stood out to me and things that I'm going to remember for thinking about in future recipes. She has a trick for you know when you call for butter to be melted and then cooled. She you know she was thinking of all of these things to shave off time at every point of the recipe. So she just has you not melt the butter all the way so that as you're stirring it, it cools itself. So there's that oh, little, yeah. little like quick hack. There's something about the fact that it's a fairly wet dough. Because of that, she's not having you chill it at all. Um, so it's like a loose, um, not very stiff dough that means that you don't have to roll it into balls before you you know, dunk it in the cinnamon sugar. And they kind of still naturally spread out to perfect circles because mm. they are already... They're not like cold in the center. Yeah. I'm used to snickerdoodles where you have to like roll each ball, which is fine. But when you don't have time and you just want a snickerdoodle or you're making it with an impatient three-year-old, like you can, you can get through it more quickly. Yeah. So that's, that's definitely one that I will remember anytime I want a snickerdoodle.
1: With a lot of great home baking, you, you find these little hacks. You're Mm -hmm. like, I just want to eat this. So Mm -hmm. like, what's the shortest road for me to eat this, but also do it well and do it correctly because your baking does have to be done correctly for the most
0: part. Mm -hmm. It's like, where are the, the cheats that won't, that won't bite us in the end?
1: Yes, exactly.
0: Do any other tricks like that come to mind?
1: Um, I, I made a recipe earlier this fall. It was like a brownie skillet cake that I, I baked pears toasted hazelnuts and chocolate chips on top of it. It was like a gluten-free brownie skillet cake. So delicious, thanks to tahini. Like, takes it over the edge. But Mm -hmm. I wanted the hazelnuts roasted. You know, they come with the skin on them. So I wanted them roasted. The first directions on most baking recipes is to preheat the oven, usually to Mm -hmm. 350 degrees. I said, but we need to roast these hazelnuts. We're just roasting the hazelnuts as the oven preheats. So... Turn the oven on. Doesn't It's not going to be preheated, right? When you just turn it on, put the hazelnuts in and give them like eight minutes. As soon as you smell them, they're done. And then your, your oven is probably done preheating too. So just little things like that, mm-hmm. where it's like
0: realizing what's not too precious. That feels so satisfying when when you discover something like that, that can just neatly tuck into another step and doesn't have yes. to add any time.
1: Yeah. Like
0: it fits, it works. Puzzle mm-hmm. Puzzle piece. Hey, it's Kristen. We'll be back with Joy the Baker in just a moment. And we're back with Joy the Baker.
1: So in last holidays magazine, I did a traditional moon pie. A moon pie is a packaged cookie that we see a lot down here in New Orleans because they're very popular mardi Gras throw, which mm. is something that someone on a float throws at you during Mardi Gras. You might think that it's like all beads. There's stuffed animals coming off of those floats. They're, it's wild. Uh, but one of my favorite throws is the moon pie cookie, which is a sandwich cookie with marshmallow inside, usually coated with chocolate, sometimes like a strawberry or a banana frosting packaged cookie thrown to you by a stranger. I mean, when you're on the sidewalk, when you're out in those streets, there's nothing better. I've even picked up a moon pie that had fallen on the ground, that was like definitely in the gutter. The package was intact. <laughs> intact. You check and we're intact. Absolutely. You eat that. That's a treasure. So I made a moon pie recipe in last year's magazine that was like a little bit fussy. It has graham cracker in the sandwich cookie crust. You make your own marshmallow filling and then you dip it in chocolate. It's a little bit of an intensive recipe to be fair. No one probably made it. I did. I enjoyed it. But this year I made a moon pie bar. Whenever you turn something into a bar, it like Instantly gets easier. Mm-hmm. So I made like a shortbread, buttery crust that doubles as the topping with some ground graham cracker inside. I did make a marshmallow cream from scratch, but really once you can wrap your mind around working with gelatin, it's actually easy. And then it has just um, chocolate chips thrown in and then like the crust kind of crumbled on top. So you get that sandwiching effect. In this like gooey moment without all of the fuss of making a traditional moon pie or the fuss of eating one out of the gutter. That was the <laughs> fun thing I made this year.
0: I remember seeing that recipe and it looks so good. And I feel like you have this knack for like layering things such that the different contrasting textures kind of emerge. And it's something that you're inspiring me to, to practice. Like how do you layer the, you know, very simple bar So that you get these like cracks and fissures that, you know, the, the gooey marshmallow cream and the chocolate chips will kind of pop up through and create these different little rivers of texture. Are there any other baking tricks that come to mind as our listeners are like kind of itching to be baking more throughout the winter? I know you have a bajillion tips because you bake all the time, but like, are there any top tips that you would love to share with people as they're baking through the rest of the winter?
1: Yeah, I I tell people often to really get to know their oven because a recipe will say one thing and that recipe was made in probably several different ovens, but you really have to get to know the oven that you're working with. One of the things I recommend is that people test for hot spots in their oven. I test for hot spots in my oven with slices of white bread, like sandwich white bread. And I, I'll place six slices across the baking rack, just the rack in the oven, and leave the oven on at 300, 375 degrees. It'll toast some of the slices more than it toasts others. And so you can open the oven after 12 or 15 minutes and see what slices of how the bread is toasted. So I know that, like for my oven, my back left corner is a hot spot. And it doesn't mean that it's a bad thing, but it, but it does mean if I'm baking biscuits there, I want to rotate that pan, you know, about halfway through baking or three quarters of the way through baking to make even browning through all of my biscuits. Or if I want some extra browning on my pie crust, Mm -hmm. I know I'm tucking it into that back left corner. So that sort of information about the tool, because you can bring a batter together really well. But if you don't know what's going to happen to it when you put it in the hot box, you're not doing all of the all of the work. Mm-hmm. And then you get to eat a lot of toast, right? Oh my gosh, so much toast! <laughs> I also have an oven thermometer in there, so I test it about you know twice a year. I just check in. Yeah, just get to know your oven. Like I know that sometimes I want to I want to like kickstart my oven into some browning, so I'll turn my oven off. And then immediately turn it back on and that'll start the fan up if you don't have a convection oven. Mm. So I, there are little little tricks because I know that my oven can get a little lazy sometimes. It mm. can be like, eh, we're at 350. I'm like, no, I want you at like, I want you hitting it hard at 350. I want that fan going.
0: And so I'll turn it off and I'll turn it back on. Little things like that. Just get to know your oven. Oh my gosh, it's just like when the internet goes out, or like the yes. Nintendo game doesn't work. <laughs> Blowing it, yeah. <laughs> People don't do that anymore. Like technology has advanced. I don't know what they're doing now, but uh, <laughs> I mean, definitely, if it, <laughs> there's a certain generation that's listening to this right now, and it's like, yes,
1: <laughs> yes, I blew on the Game Boy. Yeah, the paper boy. it's dusty in there. You got to blow on it and then stick it back in.
0: Yeah. Um, any other tips for people getting into baking this winter
1: yeah I would say if you haven't baked in a while replace your baking soda and your baking powder it's it's okay if it says it's not expired if if you bought it at the beginning of the year just replace it throw the baking soda down the drain with a little bit of vinegar clean the disposal there's a lot of uses for it but having fresh baking soda and baking powder and knowing that it's fresh makes a huge difference. I've baked in people's kitchens. So He's like, yeah, I bake sometimes. And if your leavening isn't fresh, it's not going to do the job that you need it to do. So you'll have some really dense baked goods. You might think it's you or your baking, especially if you don't bake very often. Mm-hmm. It, it's hard to know what's wrong. And so we want to just get the most things right. And one of those little things that you can get right is to have fresh leavening. So spend five bucks and get a new can of baking powder and baking soda. The other tip I have is to treat yourself, make your life easier and buy pre-cut parchment paper. It's a thing that I'll always buy and I'll always have in the kitchen now. So you need parchment paper just for just about everything in baking. You need to line your baking sheets with it. Sometimes you cut out rounds and line your cake pans with it. It's just a, a great insurance policy for all of the hard work you've put in and the roll of parchment paper that you can get at the grocery store is nothing short of infuriating (laughs) that it curls up with such fervor is why why no one asked for this so pre-cut flat half sheet parchment paper liners are
0: just (laughs) a blessing to this earth huge time saver and how many times would you say you end up reusing your parchment
1: oh my gosh I reuse that sheet until
0: <laughs> several times over several times
1: over especially if it's just cookies
0: mm-hmm.
1: I'll reuse it at least a dozen times they they kind of just stay on my baking sheets mm. I scoop cookies off of them the parchment sheet just stays on my cookie sheet I stack the cookie sheets up when
0: they're clean and yeah, they stay in my cupboard. You reminded me of another parchment trick that I learned from our former social media manager from his mom. If you have the rolling kind, um, if you haven't treated yourself to the, the lay flat kind yet, she like scrunches it up into a ball and then yes. flattens it and then it will yes. lay flat, flatter at least. Yes. So that has saved yeah, me on have- a few occasions.
1: Yeah. That, and it also, if you're taking pictures of the food, it also adds a nice little texture. Yes. You can, you have to beat it up a little (laughs) bit (laughs) to submit, but that's a great technique. And I'm going to try washing my parchment paper, at least just like wiping it with a wet soapy rag, something like that. And I'll add it to my collection of lightly used paper towels that I'm trying to reuse. We're not supposed to use paper towels anymore. I know I get that, but sometimes I do. And I, if I just used, them to clean the counter. You just rinse them off and let them dry and then you can clean the counter with them again.
0: Yes, there are other options, but. It's towelifying paper towels even more. Yeah. Towelifying.
1: You are more a towel than a paper towel. Believe in yourself. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, okay, I got this.
0: (laughs) And you are more parchment than paper.
1: You are more parchment than paper. Uh, I'm going to have to That's going to come up in like a meditation of mine, I'm sure.
0: (laughs) I am more parchment than paper. Thanks for listening. And my thanks to Joy Wilson for speaking with me about some of her favorite tips and recipes to bring into a new year of baking. This week's episode was put together by me, Kristen McGlory, executive producer, Harry Sultan, and with post-production by Crutch Studios. If you have a favorite recipe oozing with marshmallows, I would love to hear about it at genius at food 52.com or by tagging me on Instagram at McGlorious. And if you like the genius recipe tapes podcast, the very best thing that you can do to support us and to help other people find our show is to take a moment to leave us a five-star rating and review. And because you can't throw this podcast off a of Mardi Gras float like a moon pie, maybe just text a friend who loves baking about us so they can listen to. Thanks so much. Talk to you soon.